The Women in Agile podcast series amplifies the voices of outstanding women in the Agile community. We are dedicated to sharing the wisdom and inspiration our community has to offer by telling our stories, being thought leaders, and having open conversations with our allies. This series is brought to you in partnership from the Women in Agile organization and Accenture Solutions IQ. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Women in Agile podcast series. I'm your host, Leslie Morse, and today we are chatting with Ellen Gutsteiner. Ellen is a product coach and CEO of EBG Consulting. They focus on helping product and development communities produce valuable outcomes through product agility. She is known in the Agile community as an instigator and innovator for collaborative practices for Agile product discovery and delivery. Ellen integrates skilled facilitation into her product work to enable healthy teamwork and strong organizations. She's also the author of three books on product discovery and requirements, frequent speaker, and works with clients globally. In her spare time, Ellen is the producer of the Boston's Agile Product Open Community and serves as director of Agile Alliance's product management initiatives. Ellen, thank you for being with me today. Thank you for having me, Leslie. It's great to be here. Yeah, and it's, it'll be fun to, to use this podcast as an opportunity to, to further catch up as well. I, I remember meeting you back before I even knew Agile, right? When I, when I was just a business analyst. <laughs> and, mm. um, you know, little just. Thing, yeah, just, yes, just a business analyst. Uh, that feels like um, five careers ago almost now. <laughs> Yeah, really. That's uh, good. Change, yeah. Is, change is good. Change is good. And I think the, you know, when the book Discover to Deliver came out for, like, that was something by then I discovered Agile and that continuous idea of Discover to Deliver and the reframing of product requirements to product options mm-hmm. was just really transformational for me personally and the way I was working to with teams at that time to help them really focus on how business analysis shows up in an agile world. So oh, cool. thank you for all of those gifts you have given us. Well, thank, <laughs> thank you. I'm, I'm honored by that. Thank you. Yeah. So I'd say what, if we want, let's focus on the product management um, and product options, product delivery aspects of agile. The conference this year, you were exploring large scale product development. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of, from the days of discover to deliver to moving into large scale product development, what has that journey been like and what have been some of the highlights? Oh, wow. Uh, well, I think a lot of um, organizations are becoming a lot more product aware and product centric. And maybe that's something that the agile community has missed uh, up till recently. Um, I remember back in, I looked this up, Leslie, in anticipation <laughs> of this conversation. I did a talk in 2012 uh, for a local group in Ohio. And the title of the talk was Product Not Project. I think and, we still have that conversation, though. <laughs> yeah, right, right. But seven plus years ago, yeah. you know, walked into the room and there were a lot of people that were project manager, program managers with not happy looking faces, uh, wondering, uh, anticipating that this could be something scary or threatening to their work. Um, so the product thinking, becoming customer centric and product focused as opposed to project focused and thinking about how to more optimally, optimally organize around product has been, for me, one of the transitions that I've been involved in quite a bit. Um, 
And in addition, working with product communities to infuse agile principles and practices into traditional product management. Because, you know, pro product management as a discipline, it hasn't been around that long. And, you know, there actually is a product management body of knowledge out there that's very foundational, but I think it was just published like four years ago. Oh, that's so, new. Yeah. The discipline itself is fairly new. Um, and uh, in the natural infusion of getting continuous feedback, thinking of value, being customer focused is something that's happening big time within the product management community at the same time. So... I feel like I'm sort of operating between multiple spaces, you know, the the product management space and the agile principles and practices space and pulling in the best of uh, iterative and incremental product requirements thinking and discovery, you know. Well, that, what a wonderful bridge there. Um, because I think in a lot of ways, the more product management professionals just naturally think in those inspect and adapt continuous feedback ways, it almost starts dissolving some of the historical organizational challenges we've had in enabling agility in traditional organizations. Yes, yes. And the danger is, ironically enough, that the agilists come in and engineering and dev that are doing agile stuff and uh, they don't really know a lot about the discipline of product management. And so there's sometimes clashes there that, yeah. that are very unfortunate uh, that, that I've run into. Um, or maybe I see this a little bit more, well, I shouldn't say that because I'm thinking of a client that I'm working with now, but I was going to say sometimes with commercial products as opposed to um, thinking of internal what people might call systems or applications as products, mm -hmm. uh, internal versus inter uh, external. Do you where you make your money? Right. Um, one of the things that's happened is that the traditional understanding, and I'm saying traditional with Scrum of a product owner, has caused a tremendous amount of misunderstandings. So many organizations are very confused about and struggling with having all of these PO roles and all of these backlogs and trying to rectify uh, uh, priorities um, and not necessarily looking broadly and holistically from a product-centric point of view. Yes, so, systems you, thinking is such a key skill when you yes. really think about doing product ownership in the truest sense of the word, let alone how we define product ownership in the Agile community. Yes, yes, yes. So as a result of that, what I've been finding myself doing, this is probably maybe more over the last couple of years, is just helping getting clarity about what the products are that an organization has. Yeah. I mean, you could be a one product company and some com smaller commercial product companies are that, or you could be a very large company and have a portfolio of products, uh, but there's a lot of confusion as what is our product? Yeah, so, well, I, I remember when I worked on a large e-commerce platform, right, obviously as a company, we had many, many products, but just when we thought about that dot-com space, there were the sub-products of, you know, 
cart versus merchandising and how, right, what are those strategies and then how do we work, work it all together? Because, you know, even if you do have a larger portfolio, all of it does have to come together at some point. Yes. And I mean, I would even pull that and say that that thinking of cart and uh, checkout, which would be part of cart mm -hmm. and cataloging, all of that, that's all, those are areas, product areas or requirements areas, yep. if you will, within a product, but maybe the real product was, I don't know if it was the site or if it was, you know, a company that's selling the products, but it's only part of a really larger product. Because what does the customer think your product is? They don't that's, think yes. it's your e-commerce site. Yeah, that's a good point. So, you know, yeah. taking an outside in customer view, thinking, uh, thinking at the long view of the product, the specific components and elements will change over time and going as broad as practical. That's, that's, that's what's necessary. I, li I like that phrase, as broad as practical. Can you unpack yeah. that for us just a little bit? Well, uh, let's say, you know, okay, let's say you're a bank and, um, you know, you, you're, maybe you work inside the bank and you have uh, functions around account management. You have functions uh, for um, different types of accounts. Are those individual products? Maybe you're in the bank in the infrastructure area and you spin up servers and all the different parts of compute power, right? Uh, infrastructure. Well, if you ask the customer of that bank, what's the product? they're going to say, well, it's managing my accounts. It's, it's, an, it's about the account. Right. They're not going to look at all the different elements within the organization that needs to run the uh, organization. In now, fact, you want that value stream to be not very transparent so that it does feel cohesive. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And within the organization, if you're in you know, a different part of the bank, say an investment area versus a consumer uh, area or commercial area, you want the people that work within the bank to be able to do their work as quickly and seamlessly as possible, um, to spin up their applications, to get the infrastructure compute power that they need to figure out which databases that they need. And you don't want them to have to be saying, I have to call this area for this piece of work that I need to do as an engineer and this area and I need to go through this form and it becomes bifurcated. Mm -hmm. Now, if you think more broadly, if you're thinking of that internal consumer like a developer, if you think as broad as practical, all of those things are just giving them an infrastructure in order to build that, uh, build the changes to some internal applications for the external customer. So when you're thinking as broad as practical, you want to go totally as, as, uh, as far out as you can, but you have to be constrained by organizational structure. Yeah. Oh, we can't take over, you know, say infrastructure uh -huh. or another part of, um, you know, another banking, another type of banking or service area because org structure wise, you can't. Or if you're outsourcing certain capabilities, services, or whatever, you're not going to, unless you buy your vendor and incorporate them. So you sometimes have those boundaries. So that's right. where you're going as broad as practical. Sometimes structure and politics, uh, you know, naturally are going to constrain your definition. Yeah, which we also encounter, right, 
those things constraining us with more traditional agile transformations. So I'm curious when we start marrying up, and it's funny, I start thinking about the first line of the manifesto and uncovering new ways. And, you know, as product management as a discipline becomes more and more formalized, and that starts permeating more into agile, and agile starts permeating more into that, what new things are we going to uncover that we just haven't even started playing with yet? So that, to me, gets really interesting and exciting. Mm -hmm. But what I wonder is, um, as as these ideas start overlapping more and more, what do you think the impacts are on organizational design? Because traditional structures and boundaries and things tend to shift in a regular agile world, but what might the organization of the future look like when all of this starts playing together? Um, well, wow, that's the, like, I'm going to take out my magic wand and my little <laughs> wizard hat and try yeah. to pretend that I can foresee the future. Um, but I think that there would be a blending of disciplines that you don't necessarily have a business area and a technology area. In other words, there's, there's product teams. Mm-hmm. And those teams, there's not a distinction between there's engineers and developers and they're in their space and and then there's the business people product management sales marketing pricing uh support they're all it's all one it's all one now they may be you know they may be organized into value stream or feature areas but they're the technology people just they have some special expertise but everybody's working on toward the same end game, satisfying the customer business and technology needs as one. So I think that it's, I don't think it's necessarily revolutionary. It's kind of, I think what would be implied in terms of truly cross discipline Mm -hmm. um, teams. uh, uh, So, you know, that all of the elements, even in the technology stack would be all altogether instead of in necessarily in separate towers, towers. right or yeah. organizations yeah um, i've used the analogy of um pie-shaped people and not pie like apple pie but pie is in the symbol pie um, uh, right you know traditional management science and i-shaped right i'm a i'm good in one and one and only one thing or right? t-shaped i have transferable skills i'm a better team member but i still have my specialty mm-hmm. um but listening to you describe this makes me think of almost a different flavor of a pie-shaped person right i have one leg that's really strong and agile another leg that's really strong in whatever my technical expertise may be and right and then on the top, I'm flexible and willing to take on whatever is needed so that we build the best product possible. Yeah, um, yeah. It, it really does change the way we think about cross-functional teams, not just in the agile sense, but in how we architect our overall organizational design, I think. Yeah, yeah. And I think a lot of people in the agile community coming from a technology background you know, need to have a greater appreciation of the the world, the business world, and the te- and the product, the the work of product management and competitive analysis, and what's involved in in pricing, and that this will help them be more engaged with helping the product people make better decisions, and likewise, product people. And I'm using that term, product people, because there's yeah. so much. Con- Fusion about PO and PM. Um, The product people, uh, I think, in many cases, need to do a better job of engaging with the technology people who can really help shape and form the future for that product. 
So, uh, you know, there's opportunity all around. Yeah. So uh, let, let's use that sort of as a lob to, to wrap up sort of a product piece of this conversation, because I do want to make sure to talk to you about some of the aspects of our overall Agile community and women in Agile and your thoughts there. So yeah. let's, let's hang on to this idea of right, product people educating more and creating more business awareness within our maybe traditional Agile community that happens to be more tech focused. What are a couple of those things that we as pure Agilists need to learn and need to hear from them? What do Agile people need to learn about product management? Wow. Okay. Well, I think um, I think probably the biggest thing is that there's a whole strategic end to product management. The um, tech people, people in the Agile community, maybe in the coaching and dev, uh, testing and so forth. And this is, again, I'm, I'm not trying to make too much of a generalization, but the focus, they, when they think of product people, they think of the backlog. Right. Okay, the backlog. And the tactical work that needs to get done, uh, the more, the you know, we talk about in Discover, Deliver, the now view, the preview, and the big view. That's the now view. What's in the next sprint or the whip, the work in progress, or maybe a little bit of the preview into the release. But uh, are not as concerned or engaged in the big view. Mm-hmm. Where is the product going over you know, over a period of time? What's the competitive landscape? How can uh, innovation, technology innovations or changes in society and economics and politics potentially impact our product? So I think that's the biggest thing is a strategic awareness, I would say. Okay. Um, And... Yeah, and so, you know, there's, um, I'm doing some uh, side, just FYI, research project, this is completely on a volunteer basis, to find out is there product fluency that is sort of in parallel with Agile fluency. So you may be familiar with the Agile fluency mm-hmm. model that yeah. Jim Shore and Diana Larson uh, originated, and um, the, the, it's a wonderful team-based model. And my question was always from the start, what about product? Because you can't, you know, focus on value, deliver value, or whatever the right stopping place for your team is without product leadership. Right. So is there something in parallel for product leaders to help those agile teams um, evolve to where, where the best place for them to be is? Yeah. So as you do that work on the product fluency model, if any of our listeners want to get engaged in that, how might they contribute to that conversation? Uh, well, they could just email me for now. I mean, okay. right now we're going through um, interviewing and then we're going to be doing some more coding and some analysis. Uh, uh, so, you know, we could probably use some help. Okay. And so they just email me, I think. All right. That works. Then we'll make sure that information gets into the show notes. Okay. Thanks. That way people can reach out if necessary. Um, anything else on that product and agile and more shared understanding? Uh, yeah, the strategic stuff. I, I would also, you know, think about broadening people, having people have a broader definition of the product because we need to reduce these rampant backlogs. There's way too many backlogs and there's way too many backlogs that have a lot of junk in them. Yeah. You know, tasks, uh, excessive things, things that are uh, more, uh, 
it's like it's like the old cartoon character that was going through the garbage can and throwing things out. Let's let's get to the good stuff that's in there. We don't want it to be a garbage dump. The backlog is 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 not a it's it's not a tunnel. It needs to be a funnel. Yes. And so there's a lot of junk in there that um, that complicates things when we have a lot of backlog. So um, having fewer backlogs, which could in in fact mean fewer formal product owners of the roles, uh, actually de um, uh, decomplicates the organization, which has a positive structural impact as yeah. well. I think there's a lot of possibility that can come from that simplification. Yes, big yeah. time. And I feel like we could probably, that's a topic we could unpack for many, many other conversations. Yeah. Because yeah, I start yeah. getting really curious. Yeah. <laughs> but before, yeah. We, before we went out of time today, I want to make sure to talk about the role of women in this agile community as well as the product community. Mm. So for a minute, let's get in the a way, way back machine and do a little bit of time travel. Okay. Um, so when would you say it was you discovered agile? What was that origin story for you? Um, in it, I'm, that's an interesting question. I think in an indirect way, maybe two things, was I was doing a lot of work uh, in the very early days, but actually several years before the Agile Manifesto came about, in a pharmaceutical, and we were Mm -hmm. building a clinical trial application. And I was sort of the process lead type of a person. And uh, what we kept doing was coming together to collaborate and building little pieces and getting feedback from, you know, our primary customer really was a nurse, nurse nurses and, that, and the physicians and the clinics. Um, and so we were doing things that were sort of incremental uh, and iterative development. I mean, I certainly learned a lot from that, but in and in a regulated environment. Yeah. And that, that particular uh, product, which got deployed in the U.S. and in Singapore, was one of the best teams I've ever worked on. You know, if you think back on a really great team, you know, you're smiling. I'm looking yeah. at, for the listeners, we're looking at each other. Yes. And I'm smiling because we just rocked. I mean, we loved each other. We fought with each other. We, But we were, we just had a hum going. And that, that collaboration uh, was just awesome. I mean, and that was sort of was one of the uh, things that inspired me to write Requirements by Collaboration, the very first book, mm-hmm. about how pulling people together to get a shared understanding. Um, and that's a lot of the, you know, the, the spirit of what you get with the Agile principles. So I think in some ways it was, it was that particular uh, event that, you know, that was the inspiration so with, for me. So with that, right, and you kind of talked about that being pre-manifesto mm. times, and then you anchored us earlier to that talk you did in 2012 around product versus project. So when would it, when, when do you identify with sort of emerging as part of the agile community proper, if you can 
think of it that way. Oh, okay. I'm trying to think back. Well, I've been to every Agile conference since okay. the beginning, beginning back at Salt oh, Lake. Oh, I didn't realize that. That's yeah, awesome. Yeah, yeah. So, I'm, I mean, I go back in the spirit of collaboration and, um, you know, some of my Janet Danforth, who passed away last year, was one of my mentors and she was Jean Tobacco's mentor mm -hmm. and she and Jean and I were buddies from from way back in those days actually through the professional facilitation community so that's a lot of my roots there and um, I think it, it, it was that uh, going to that and I don't remember the initial connection of how I just started going and, and presenting at those conferences. The other thing was through the retrospective community. So if we go back, I think the first retro facilitator gathering was in 2002 and um, out in, uh, in Oregon. And we always had Norm Kurth there. And an uh, interesting little story, it was in, in the first, beginning with the first gathering, and Diana, I think, facilitated open space. And we had people from all around the globe attending and started sharing some, you know, some of the practices as well as facilitation things that we were doing. And it was at the second gathering that... Um, uh, there was a session that I proposed, which was, why are we waiting to the end of the project to do a retro? And everybody ended up going to that session. And we came up with the first model, if you will. We called these retros, we called them Heartbeat. That's mm -hmm. now an iteration retro. Yeah. Heartbeat, Milestone, and uh, Special, a Custom, and End of Project. Now the custom one was interesting because we had somebody that was from the Coast Guard there and she was talking about how they do retros after a spill event, that kind of thing. Or like, you know, Norm in his book, um, in his Project Retrospective books talked about doing a retro th after a fire. Right? So that would be a custom one. Right. So we came up with this sort of meta model. I actually still have the Visio files because I did the recording of it. Oh, wow. And then, you know, Esther was at that session. I believe I have that right. I had some email exchanges with, with her and Diana a while back to try to remember that history. I believe then she brought that idea to Ken about retros, right, being not waiting. Mm -hmm. And so it took off from there. But um, I, I almost imagine this as some mystical, magical, like forest with fairies and twilight <laughs> floating around for all of these, these amazing things were happening. And I'm sure it wasn't really like that. But listening to you talk, it sounds just like the essence of it to me almost has a goosebump feeling. Oh, uh, okay. Which is, well, which is really cool. I'm so glad that we're capturing the story. Yeah, yeah. It was, I mean, we took play those, those uh, early... Uh, retro facilitator gatherings were always at a place in um, Oregon. I'll have to remember the name of the city, but it was the, at a place called the Sylvia Beach Hotel. And Sylvia Beach was an author. And so any author could have their book. There was a living room wall that had spines of books with titles of them, mm -hmm. and the author would sign them. So I think it was the second year I was there, my first book came out, and, and Linda Rising also had another book came out. So they had this whole little ceremony where they painted the spines of our book, and it was an awesome. Oh, that's and awesome. Each, each room had, has, it's still around, it's a very cool place. It's a little musty, but it's very cool. It's themed after an author. So, you know, there was the, the uh, what's his name, the, uh, the guy, the, um, 
Theodore Gazelle, I think, is his, the uh, the author of all the children's books, Dr. Seuss. Oh, yes, yes, and yes. And there was F. Scott Fitzgerald. Mm-hmm. I was in that room once. There was gin, you know, but I'm sure it was water. I didn't taste it. And there was the Edgar Allan Poe room. That was really creepy. I stayed in that room. It was all black with a raven on the... And so that's where those gatherings were. Uh, but we, you know, used open space and the sessions were great. It was very... It was informal, but very intense and well, what, a really wonderful community. And what I love about it there is you tell that story is you're calling out the names of women that have been influential in the Agile community for Absolutely. as long as I've been part of it, So, which I think is wonderful. So how over these years have you seen the role of women and their prominence in our community change mm. and, and shift? Yeah. Um, well, the not-so-happy story is around engineers and women engineers, and mm-hmm. that has not gone very well because uh, I still is quite a bit, I think, of misogyny, but there are some heroes out there like the engineer that wrote about what was going on uh, at Uber, and there's some really rocking test folks. You, you know some of them that are still active like Lisa Crispin and Janet Gregory. There's also some others in that test community that have moved forward. So there's, there's, that's the sort of sad part of the story. But there are definitely giants in the Agile community uh, that, um, you know, I mentioned um, Diana, I think. Diana's role in terms of developing the uh, or OD kind of a mindset, bringing that whole discipline into mm-hmm. into the community um, is um, it can't can't be overstated. And Linda Rising, I mean, so, th- so these were the people that were uh, were at these retro gatherings. That is interesting. Now that I'm reflecting, um, Rachel Davies, who really wrote the, she wrote the first book on agile testing. Yep. She came to those gatherings. It was it was actually thinking back, it was probably half and half, which is unusual. So, yeah, that's um, um, that's really great. Yeah, because yeah. even though we we sold out the women in agile session at the Agile 2019 conference this year with 300 people, we're we're definitely not to 50 percent female attendees at our, our, you know, annual conferences yeah. and, and other big events. Yeah, but it's getting better having just been there and just looking around at the dem- the human demographics. Yeah. Um, so... Well, um, and and I, with that, when I scanned through, I, I did some diligent reading of the entire schedule for this year, seeking a list of great women to talk to for the Women in Agile podcast series. And I came up with like, there were 42 names on the list. Awesome. And that wasn't even all of the women that were on the program. Um, so I, I, I think those numbers are, are fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think... The principles behind Agile are so natural uh, for women mm-hmm. to, to, to be living and to be thinking and living in this way about community and collaboration, you know, that these are things that you naturally think of from uh, as female characteristics. I mean, right. I don't want to be misogynist in the opposite direction yep. here, but it, it's very natural. Um, and I think, you know, with, uh, the, like when I look at the product management community, there's a lot of women in the product management community and there's a women in product management throughout the, uh, groups throughout, including here in the Boston area, throughout the country. Yeah, and um, I don't, I don't want to 
bypass that, right? And so it's not just that there are women in product development communities, but there's actually a women in product like group that has chapters yes. and other things and similar to what we're doing with women in Agile. Yes, exactly. And and are very supportive of each other and uh, lots of events going on uh, at their own internal, there's uh, job sites. Mm -hmm. And um, so there's a lot happening for women in the product management community. And there's a lot of opportunity there, you know, that, uh, uh, so I would, Jeff, definitely for the listeners that are product minded, uh, become attuned to that community for sure. Yeah. And um, no matter what, I think there's great collaboration to be had across the communities, no matter what and good shared learning to, to have. I'm now thinking about, I wonder if there's a women in product group in Orlando, which is where the Agile 2019 or 2020 conference will be in. Can we have a mashup event? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that would, would be, be easy, to, easy to check out yeah. if you need some help can, seeing about those connections. I can I can take a look. But I think I think it's womenpm.org that you could okay. go to or just right. look at women in product. Um, and many large cities do have events going on. Certainly right. we right. have in Boston and in New York. I'm sort of in between that space. Uh, so that's really great. That's awesome. Yeah. I was just going to say that there, there still is a sense of confidence that I think we as women need to break out of. Uh, <laughs> the, yeah, I was just uh, reading a statistic not too long ago that when, just thinking about job hunting, when uh, a job is out there and a, a man looks at that job and they don't have all of the you know requirements. Of course, many times they put unicorn skills out there that, that are impossible. No one has, yeah. <laughs> yeah right, exactly. Or combinations of skills that make them unicorn skills. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But what happens is that roughly 60% of men will still apply. That, uh, the, that the, when they see 60%, I should say, of the skills they have, They'll apply. apply Women, anyway. they will only apply if they think they have 90%. Yeah, or able to check every single one. Um, I, uh, the Women in Agile event that was right before the Business Agility Conference this year in New York City, uh, Fabiola Eilzer was the keynote. And so got, did a podcast with her for the Agile Amped podcast series. And she went and unpacked lots of great information around the, the statistics and the trends of women and applying for jobs and how it shows up in people operations today and all of that. And it really is, it's something that I think we owe ourselves to study and become familiar with because we need, just as you brought it up again today, it's something we constantly need to remind ourselves of um, because we all need it within us no matter where we are in our career. Right. Right, right. I think all of us have a bit of imposter syndrome, oh, and yeah. women are more susceptible. And mm -hmm. sometimes it's like, like crap. Let's just go for it, you know. Yeah. Just go for it. And that's hard to do. It it's is. hard to do. Uh, um, I personally grew up with three brothers, so I sort of had a. You just got to go for it. You mm -hmm. got to survive. You got to sort of fight off the pushing and shoving sometimes that I got or, you know, that's my dessert. <laughs> and uh, so that sort of came naturally to me to some extent, you know, just as a survival mechanism. And 
for other women that didn't have that kind of origin story themselves, fam- familial story, it's hard. It's not yeah. easy. Yeah, it's definitely different. So in that spirit of um, sort of go get them and go do it, um, let's wrap our conversation today thinking about sort of wisdom and inspiration we might leave. Um, and, and I think there's two sides of this, right? We have plenty of women that are new in their career that have, I'll consider it the luxury and privilege of kind of being born into a professional career that starts with Agile from the beginning. Mm. But there's also those of us that find Agile after having been in the workforce for 10, 12 15 years, whatever it may be. So with both of those sort of audiences in mind, um, what have maybe been some pivotal things over your career journey or or other wisdom you might want to share? Hmm. Okay. Well, I guess that, uh, you know, because this this was sort of in a way how I started, I guess really focusing on uh, facilitation skills, professional facilitation skills. And uh, learning to lead in that way and be able to um, provide some structure and step back and allow the group, the community to, um, with clarity around decision making, make those choices for themselves. Because um, sometimes I see newer folks to the profession, particularly coaches, pushing a bit too much on that mm-hmm. and not... Uh, not um, not letting the group um, let it be their choices. Um, and I guess for me, one of the influencers, and I recently actually, I think it was last year I went uh, to a much deeper training from uh, Roger Schwartz, who's the author of The Skilled Facilitator. And these are skills and capabilities that, that you use not just in a group setting, but also uh, uh, as, a, as a leader yourself mm-hmm. Absolutely. and at an organizational setting. And they go back to uh, Senge's uh, mentor, who was Roger's mentor, and um, Edgar Schein, and these folks that did OD work. Um, you've probably heard about the ladder of inference. And so this is kind of deep stuff. Yeah. Um, it's not just, you know, okay, here's the ground rules for, uh, you know, don't have two people talking at, at the same time. So this It really is, is a way of being in a lot of yes. ways and how yes. to hold that space and, and create the space for things to emerge. Yes. And to help people with transparency and and curiosity and making informed choice and these much deeper principles. So those have influenced me a lot. I had taken a training with Roger as a newer facilitator and had a pivotal, he called me up because you do a case study and you send it in. He called me up and said, can we use your case study in the class? And can, you know, I be the it (laughs) and holy moly. I'm not going to swear here, but <laughs> wow, that was one of the most profound learning experiences. That had to um, almost feel like having an autopsy done on you while you were alive. <laughs> that's right. It just like opened up a whole other way of thinking for me. And that, that happened pretty early in my career. Uh, and that's really stuck with me. And I felt the need and desire to refresh on those skills and capabilities. So that's that's one thing that i would that that is is a piece of it's a piece of work that i think is a, and wisdom and you know something you're always working on but uh that would be something maybe to check out for people i think that i think that's beautiful i, I mean in some ways the fundamentals of agile are 
pretty simple. The hard stuff is creating the space and engaging the people and enabling the true collaboration and co-creation of things when there is conflict present. And so to your point with you know, some agile coaches that may be a little too forceful, I think the real, the real magic in the work we do as agilists is the facilitation and the creation of those yes. environments where everything succeeds. Um, whether that be us as you know, anyone on a team member, that idea of leading from within or leading from the center, or whether you're a, a leader that has positional authority in an agile organization that, that's really creating that space. Um, I think looking yeah. into those pieces yeah. is, is key. And it's not, you know, you could be, it's a yin and yang kind of thing, right? So let's talk about some coaches that maybe are a little too pushy and forceful. And uh, and then, you know, at the other, on the other hand, you sometimes do need, groups need to take accountability. People need yeah. to take accountability and being transparent and having, okay, uh, promoting a principle of informed choice and transparency and curiosity and not making assumptions mm -hmm. about what people are saying or doing really means, um, that is also a gift. And yeah. doing it with compassion, yeah. that is, that's, that's important. Because yeah. Agile is just a means to an end. Mm -hmm. So these other things really transcend um, those practices, I think. Yeah, I completely agree. Well, Ellen, thank you so much for, for making time. This was, I feel like I could have gone on for hours. Um, so many wonderful stories. It was really fun. Thank you. Great. Thanks for having me, Leslie. You're welcome. And thank you for listening to this episode of the Women in Agile podcast series. It is brought to you in partnership from the Women in Agile nonprofit organization and Accenture Solutions IQ. We hope you've learned something new and invite you to tell a friend or a coworker about the podcast. And please go online to womeninagile.org to learn more about our initiatives and find more inspiring podcast conversations. Thanks for listening to this Women in Agile podcast episode. Find more inspiring conversations by visiting womeninagile.org slash podcast checking out the podcast series on iTunes, or visiting your podcast application of choice. If you have an idea for a topic, speaker, or feedback on an episode, please reach out to us via email through podcast at womeninagile.org.